Uh, this passage of scripture, and we want to view it in light of our observation and our participation in the Lord's table. And one of the things that we see by way of what Christ has given to his church is that in and through the preaching of the word, Christ is present with his people. And we also see that through the Lord's Supper that Christ is present with his people. And we have something of an indication of this even on the pages of Scripture itself. I was putting this all together and I was thinking of that passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 24 where there was the Lord Jesus Christ risen and there was the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples as, as they were walking on the Emmaus Road. And you remember at the end of that journey they stopped and they had that time where they had a fellowship meal. And you remember in the breaking of bread that the Lord Jesus Christ was made known to them. We see this again in Luke chapter 24, verses 30 through 32. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. Here was Christ being made known to his church by way of word and by way of ordinance. By way of the word preached and by way of the bread broken. And I think this is something that we should engage in, something that we should expect as we come together as the body of Christ I think there's something to see here also by way of the emphasis on the unity that's there, that, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that we see uh, in the ordinance. Did you notice in the passage of Scripture, once again, I'll just read to you, you don't have to turn there, but listen again to verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart, not our hearts, but our heart. You see, there were these two disciples, they were one in heart. And this unity that they had in, in, in their heart was a unity that they had in Christ. And so even in this very early glimpse of what the Lord's Supper is for us, we have again Jesus Christ manifested in the preaching of the word and in the breaking of bread. This is what we're gathered here today for. That in the preaching of the word and in the breaking of the bread, Christ would so warm our hearts that we might be able to say again with those two disciples on the Emmaus Road, did not our hearts burn within us? My hope and my prayer is that Christ would so manifest himself to us uh, that we too would say like them again this wonderful experience that they had. Well, what we're going to see here then here uh, today is I want to I want to show you that uh, not only in the Lord's Supper do we have communion uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also have fellowship with one another. And there's a sense in which there's a, a twofold emphasis that I want to make. I want to emphasize today the spiritual fellowship that we have with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in the table. But I also want to emphasize the sacred fellowship that we have one with another. You see, the spiritual communion we have with Christ is, is a spiritual communion because in the observance of the Lord's Supper, Christ is spiritually present with his people. Uh, the great reformer John Calvin has a wonderful statement along these lines. He says it's by way of the Spirit of God that the church is lifted up into the presence of Christ. And we see something wonderful by way of the spiritual communion that we have. You see, this spiritual communion knows no limitations. Time and space does not prevent us from having this true communion with Jesus Christ. But not only is there a spiritual communion with Christ in the ordinances, there is also a sacred fellowship that we have one with another. Why do I use the word sacred to define our fellowship? Because this fellowship that you and I have is unique to belonging to the church of Jesus Christ. 
It's a fellowship whereby as I look upon you, I see a blood-bought people. As you look upon me, you see an individual uh, redeemed with the same blood that redeemed you. And so our fellowship, again, is, is, is sacred. It's a fellowship that is unique to our being in Christ. And so spiritual communion with our Lord Jesus Christ and sacred fellowship one with another. You see, this is what we are reminded of in this time of observing the Lord's Supper. Well, what I want to do this morning, as I said earlier, I want to set before you uh, this, uh, this, this doctrine. And it's essentially this, that in the Lord's Supper, Christians experience spiritual communion with Christ and sacred fellowship with one another. Let me say that again, that in the Lord's Supper, Christians experience spiritual communion with Jesus Christ and sacred fellowship with one another. Well, in the past, we've spoken about our spiritual communion with the Lord Jesus Christ as we've had our series of communion sermons. What I'd like to do today is to give emphasis to our spiritual fellowship. I think this is one of the, uh, one of the, one, one of the uh, important things by way of what it means to participate in the Lord's Supper. And sometimes it's not given uh, the kind of emphasis that it ought to be given. That there is a real spiritual fellowship that we have. And we've seen this uh, even in our scripture readings this morning. And we'll continue to develop, that, to develop this. Well, as I said before, the outline we're going to follow today is uh, we're going to see the name uh, for, given for the church, which signifies our fellowship one with another. What, are, what is the church of Christ named? That is named the body of Christ. We're going to see the nature of the uh, unity that we have as the body of Christ. And then once again, we'll see the nurture of it. Well, what about this name, the body of Christ? Well, as I said before, we see this in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And look at the passage uh, once again. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. One of the things I want you to be aware of as we look at this passage of Scripture, that I have to admit that we're just touching on what Paul was doing here in this 12th chapter. Because when you look at the 12th chapter of Romans, you, if you know the book of Romans, understand that we've come into the one of the major divisions in the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans can be divided very just generally, uh, chapters 1 through 8, dealing with uh, just, uh, salvation, justification, and sanctification. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 9 through 11, dealing with the, with the issue of Israel and the historical issues that uh, surround that. And then, Ro- and then Romans 12 through 16, uh, dealing with the issues that we see within the church. And what Paul does here in this 12th chapter, again, he makes the great appeal and many of us know this appeal by heart. You remember how the, how the appeal reads. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now that Christ has done all this for you, this is what we are to do. We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And in this presentation of living sacrifices, what the Apostle Paul will do in this 12th chapter and following, but especially in this 12th chapter, he will, he will outline the Christian's conduct in the church and the Christian's conduct in society. You'll see this as you read through the, uh, as you read through the chapter. Verses uh, 1 through 12 basically uh, deal with the Christian in the church. Uh, verses 13 or 14 uh, down to the end of the chapter deal with the Christian as he finds himself in, the, uh, in, in his uh, interaction with, uh, with, with the world at large. But in verses, of, uh, in verses 4 down through verse 13 or 14, really what you have is a discussion of gifts as they are to be exercised within the church. 
Now, this may all sound like I'm running far afield of my original intent, but we're really not. Because even as we saw Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 mention, number one, the body. Number two, the diversity in the body. Number three, in that context, the gifts. We see this over and over again. In a number of places in the New Testament, this is the pattern that we see. There are gifts given to the church. Those gifts have a diversity to them. Those gifts and their diversity kind of match the diversity that we have as individuals. But all these things are all subsumed under the headship of Jesus Christ. And when Paul uses the the metaphor, the picture of the body, he is doing it because we understand the body to be one thing, as it were. Many members, yes, but it's one. And it's all in subjection to the leadership of the head, so to speak. And in the church, the church itself and all of its various parts is subject to the headship of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does in this passage of Scripture, as I said before, he gives his designation for the church as the body of Christ, and he speaks about the gifts that God has given to the church. And this again begins to impact us by way of our understanding the sacredness of our fellowship. You see, one of the things that marks the sacredness of our fellowship is the fact that Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, has given gifts to each and every one of the local congregations that he has purchased with his blood. He has given to this congregation particular gifts. And those gifts are to be used and exercised for their edifying of the body. Gifts are not to be used for the focus of ourselves, but gifts are to be used for the exercise, in, in the exercise and for the benefit of the body. Are you ready for this? Gifts are not even primarily designed to be used outside of the church. They may have impact outside of the church. They may spill over into the life outside of the church. But the gifts that Christ has given to the church are to be used within the church. You see, this is all working to that idea that we are one body in Christ. This is an emphasis that, again, that is pictured for us in the Lord's table. When the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17 says, For ye are all one loaf, ye are all one bread, we might say. And the idea is this, as, a bread, as bread is made up of many individual grains, yet the loaf is one. So you and I, made up of our individual parts, are one in Christ. And so this is the name that is given to the church. It is the body of Christ. Now, it's interesting that uh, um, one, uh, one individual has said that when you take a look at all the various designations that are given for the church, the phrase body of Christ is the only phrase that doesn't have any kind of reference to the Old Testament or any kind of reference in the Old Testament. Sometimes the church is referred to as the bride. Well, Israel was the bride as well. Uh, There are other designations for the church that you can find in Old Testament uh, uh, contact with. But when it comes to this designation of the church as the body of Christ, it's unique to the New Testament. And what it is doing, once again, it is showing our, our, our unity and our submission to the headship of Jesus Christ. One of, the things, one of the other things that we see by way of this picture of the image of the body is that it shows, as I said before, not only our union with Christ, but also our mutual dependence one upon another. When we get into consider the nature of the body of Christ, we'll see how that we have this mutual dependence one of another. And so again, we see uh, the first point in our outline, uh, the name of our unity is referred to as the body of Christ. Well, this does bring us then to uh, the second point in our outline, and that is the nature of our unity. 
Now, again, I've stressed this, uh, this term, the body of Christ, and, and rightly so. Uh, about 25 times in the New Testament, we have this designation. Uh, probably, maybe, I'm not exactly sure of this, uh, the term church occurs over 70 times in the King James. Uh, the, the, uh, the phrase of uh, the body, as it has reference to the church, uh, occurs about 25 times. And so the, so the term, the terminology of the body of Christ is not the most used term when it comes to designating the church, but it is a significant term when it comes to designating the church. So the church is the body of Christ. Well, what's the nature of the church as the body of Christ? Well, I'd like to ask you at this time, please turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because I want to kind of walk you through this passage of scripture we're not going to have any development of anything of any of the parts of this passage but i want you to see that there is a clear uh, flow of thought uh in in the apostle's mind when he speaks about the church as the body of christ and the first thing i want you to notice uh when we come here uh to uh this uh, passage of scripture in first corinthians uh, chapter 12 uh, is with verse 13. The first thing I want you to notice is this, is that the unity that, the unity that we have as the body of Christ is a unity that comes to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual unity that we have. It's a spiritual unity in the truth that is Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body. So our unity is a spiritual unity based in the truth of who Jesus Christ is, affected by the Spirit of God. That's the first thing that we see about the nature of our unity. The second thing I want you to understand and see is this, is that our unity in Christ does not mean the loss of individuality. In other words, you as a person are not obliterated within the body of Christ. There is still a unique you in the body of Christ. And as we see in this first passage in 1 Corinthians and in Romans as well, not only is there a unique you in the body of Christ, there is a gifted you in the body of Christ. You have to understand that Christ purposely gifts every member of his church that he saves. And he saves every member of his church. That's probably not the right way to say it. But every member, every member brought into the church is brought into the church with gifts. This is why our union and communion with each other becomes so important. This is why, can I say it this way? And I'm, try, I'm not just trying to chum you up. This is why your presence in the church is so vital. Because you bring gifts that Christ has given to you for the benefit of this church, for the well-being of this church. So again, we see it's a spiritual unity. We see it's a unity that does not, uh, that does not, uh, does not, does not mean our loss of uh, individuality. And we see this in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, first, uh, chapter 12, verse 14. Look at verse 14. Again, for by one spirit, verse 13. For, uh, verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. You see, we've not lost our, our, our unique identity here in Christ as we gather together in the church. So it's a spiritual act whereby the Spirit baptizes us into Christ, but also it's an act whereby we do not lose our identity. There are many members in the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I want you to see this, is that this unity, does not, uh, this unity excludes the idea of any member being unimportant. I'm going to say that again. The unity that we have stresses the idea that there, are, that there is no unimportant member in the congregation or in the body. Where do we see this? We'll look at verses uh, uh, look at verses uh, 15 through 17. 
If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am, I, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? What's, what's, what is Paul saying here? That every individual member has its needed place within the body. There is nothing unimportant in the body. Nothing unimportant in the body of Christ. Whom Christ saves and whom Christ gifts are for the need and for the benefit of the body of Christ. So again, there, is no, uh, there are no unimportant members in the body of Christ. Fourthly, this unity includes a God-ordained diversity that pleases Him. I want to say this again. This unity includes a God-ordained diversity that pleases Him. We see this in verses 18 through 20. Listen, but now God had set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. You see, God is not just trying to uh, uh, stamp you out as, uh, with, with no individual uh, characteristics and, and nothing distinguishing, distinguishing us one from another. No, this, 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 this wonderful uh, variety that's in the church of Jesus Christ is put there purposely. Again, this is God's work. And in God's work, brothers and sisters, look around and thank God you don't see just another one of yourself sitting next to you. There's a difference here. There's variety. There's diversity. And so again, we see this here very clearly, clearly laid out in the passage of Scripture. The, um, the, sixth, um, the, uh, the fifth thing I want you to see about, this, uh, about, this, about the nature of the body of Christ is that this unity is not only uh, uh, present in diversity, but that this unity is, is actually strengthened by the diversity of the members working together for the well-being of the body. Look at verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one of another. You see, the body strengthens itself by itself. In the gifts that Christ gives, the body of Christ is strengthened. Now, one of the things, this last point will be very, very important because I think that one of the things that we cannot fall prey to at this point is to think that diversity is the primary uh, picture, so to speak. It's not. Unity is the primary picture. It's not diversity that, uh, and, and that the body, part of the body is doing this and part of the body is doing that. Um, that's not really the picture that's being uh, presented here. The picture that's being presented here is the sixth point by way of the nature of the body, and that is this. This unity and diversity is in submission to the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ. That, in one sense, is the primary idea. That this unity that we are, I'm sorry, that this diversity that we have is all in submission to the headship of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body jointly and held together by every joint which is, by which it is equipped uh, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. You see what's happening here. This diversity is not a diversity for the sake of diversity. This diversity is all with the idea that everything by way of what the body does is in submission to the headship of Jesus Christ. 
And therefore we say that not only do we have this, again, communion with Christ around the Lord's table, but we also share in sacred fellowship one with another. Not just with this emphasis on diversity, but with a diversity that in its uniting principle is submission to the headship of Jesus Christ. You see, it is the desire of the body to have Christ himself exalted. And that's what we see the emphasis is. And again, that's, that's what speaks to the nature of the body. And, and so again, so that the image of the church as the body of Christ is the point to, to our unity in Christ by the Holy Spirit uh, working submission in the church to the headship of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the nature of the unity. So we've seen the name of the, uh, the name that designates our unity, the body of Christ. We've seen the nature of this unity. Again, we might just generally say this, uh, uh, diversity and unity under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's the nature of this unity. Now we want to take a look at the, the nurturing of, of this uh, unity. How is this unity nurtured? Well, in one sense, this may be the most important uh, segment uh, of the sermon. And this nurturing of the body is very, very important. Now, every, everyone knows by way of what the by, by way of just experience, and, and also if you know your scripture, you know that there is emphasis given on the proper nurture of the body, proper care for the body. Paul brings this out, again, in Ephesians 5, uh, 29. He says this, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And the idea is essentially this. Look, it's, it's common knowledge. Uh, that people just take care of themselves. They take care of their body. We clothe our body. We feed our body. We make sure, at least most of the time, we make sure that we get enough rest and, and all these other things. Why? Because we are caring for the body. The body must be nurtured. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. The body of Christ must be nurtured as well. So how does this take place? Well, what I want you to see first and foremost then is this. We, we come back in a sense. What do we come back to? We come back to the fact that one of the ways that God nurtures the body of Christ is through the gifts that he gives. Remember we said earlier how that every part works to the benefit of the other? How that the body works together for the well-being of the body? Remember how we said that there are no unimportant parts in the body of Christ? Well, we see this as well, again, when it comes to this discussion of how the body is nurtured. The body is nurtured in one sense through the gifts that Christ has given. This is made very clear in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12, Paul kind of enters into what are oftentimes, oftentimes described as ministry gifts. And it's through the gifts of the ascended Christ, through the Spirit, that the body of Christ is nurtured and built up. Listen again to what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave some, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And here's verse 12. For, this is the purpose, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How is the body of Christ edified? How is the body of Christ nurtured? It is nurtured through the gifts that Christ has given through the Spirit. But this is not all. We see that Christ uh, nurses his church in a number of other ways as well. And the first thing I want you to understand is that the nourishment of the church depends on its unity and even better, on its union with Christ, its head. Very clearly the scripture teaches this. Colossians chapter 2 verse 19. 
And Paul again speaks about those who err from the truth and he says that they are not holding the head, that's Christ, from whom the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together with the increase, uh, increases with the increase of God. And so here you have a picture of the body joined to its living head. And through that union with the living Christ, the body again is strengthened with the increase of God. Very, very clearly then, not only is the body nourished through the giving of gifts, more importantly, the body is nourished through its living, vital union with Jesus Christ. And I must then make an appeal at this point. I think I know most of you, if not all of you, fairly well anyway. But I must ask this question. Are you united? Are you joined to Jesus Christ by faith? You see, this is the vital, this is the vital reality. No union with Christ means that there is no vital or living relationship. No union with Christ means that these symbols are only symbols. You see, no union with Christ means that we are outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ. But what we see again that is pressed upon us is that all those who are baptized into Christ, who have a living and vibrant faith in 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 the Savior, who was crucified and risen again, this is again what joins us to the head, Jesus Christ. Again, John chapter 15, verse 5, the same idea. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. What is our Lord saying? The way that the body is nourished it's by, is by its living union with Jesus Christ. Well, there are other ways that we see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, nurturing his body. And going back to Ephesians 4, we find that one of the ways that Christ nurtures his body, and this is interesting, it's kind of picking up on what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the ways in which Christ nurtures his body is through the interaction within the body, one with another, in Christian love and affection. The church of Christ is nurtured when its members interact with one another in love and affection. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each of its parts is working properly. Listen, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our mutual love is ordained by Christ to nurture this local congregation. It's that clear in the scripture. This is why the body works for the benefit of the body to the glory of Christ. And so what we see then, and again, this is what's pictured for us in our participation in the Lord's Supper. There is a a spiritual communion we have with Christ and there is a sacred fellowship that we have one with another. And so again, the Lord Jesus Christ giving these things. And and again, the passage of Scripture I've I've mentioned in passing before. And in one sense, this passage is, is really specific to the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says this, and listen again to the, to the idea of the, 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 the diversity and the unity. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, For we being many are one bread. For we being many are one bread and one body. Now listen. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Our unity is in Christ. 
Not that the bread is Christ. You know we don't teach any type of a, 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 a transmutation of the elements into the, in, into the uh, physical body of Christ. We don't believe that at all. We don't believe that Scripture teaches that. But there is a spiritual union that we have in Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. Just like when I will take the bread in a few moments, that one bread and I will break it and you will all participate in that one bread. There is our diversity and there is our unity in Christ. And so when we come to this idea of the name of our unity, it's given the body of Christ. When we come to the idea of the nature of our unity, we've seen the six things that were listed. When it comes to this idea of the nurture of the body, we see again how all of this is joined to the work of the Spirit, uniting us to Christ and then giving gifts in the church whereby for the glory of God, we mutually love and have affection one for another. And there's a sense in which this idea of love and affection uh, within the body of Christ, if I can use this illustration, in one sense, it's like the very lifeblood that gives life to the entire body. When, when that love and affection isn't there, all the things that, that come to a halt in the church of Christ. Listen to these passages of Scripture. I have here, as this takes place, the church, when it is functioning as God has designed, expresses itself in the way, obviously, that Christ has commanded and first and foremost is love. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Peter in 1 Peter says this, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brother. Unfeigned, unhypocritical. No, no show. It's a true, genuine love. And this is what is to be happening within the body of Christ. This is how the body of Christ is nurtured. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I think Peter knew something about local congregations, didn't he? <laughs> love, because, because you're going to need a lot of love to cover you know, the things that we come across. And so again, Peter reminding us of the importance of love. Not just love in the, in the formal or, 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 or more, um, uh, more uh, maybe a dignified sense of the word, but, but also love in the sense of affection. It's very interesting that the, how that the NIV oftentimes picks up a, a few more times the, the word affection than the King James does. And, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, he says look, I've not withheld my affection from you, but, but you've withheld your affection from me. Isn't it a sad thing? That we've all had the experience of walking into, not a church, but walking into our church. And we don't feel the affection that we think would be expected. Paul sensed that. And can we say, brothers and sisters, if, if, if I've not shown you the affection that your pastor should have shown you, can I ask you to love that love might cover a multitude of sins? Not that, I'm, not that I, I wouldn't make this thing right by the grace of God and vice versa. You know how it goes. And so again, this idea of love and affection is tangible in the local congregation. And when it's there, the local body of Christ is being nurtured. And so again, Paul says in, he, in Romans chapter 10, 12, verse uh, 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 in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Just, if you're in Romans, you can just look down to verse 12. Matter of fact, go, go back to Romans because I want you to see something here now. Because we're going to see how that the same point that we've been making is being made once again by the apostle in this 12th chapter of Romans. Here we uh, have this emphasis again on the body, 
uh, in verses uh, uh, five, uh, verses uh, uh, six and following, we have the emphasis on the the gifts. Uh, notice again how that uh, Paul says here in verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace which is given to us. Again, it's another classic section on the gifts of the Spirit in the church. But notice how he comes down here to verse ten: be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. What are the gifts to do? The gifts are to nurture the body of Christ. You see, through the exercise of the gifts in submission to the headship of Jesus Christ, not the use of gifts as a platform for me to set myself forward, but as the gifts, again, being used under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and again, showing itself in affectionate love. Be ye kindly affectionate one toward another. It ought to be the atmosphere that we live in. Christian affection one for another. And notice what he says here again in, 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 verse, in, in verse 12. In, in honor, preferring one another. No small thoughts about the people of God. No unworthy thoughts about the people of God. No mean thoughts about your brother or sister. Again, preferring one another. You can't say enough good about them. And, the, and again, if there are things that, that, that you have issues with, well, the scripture tells us how to deal with this. If we, have a, if we have something against our brother, we're to go with them. We're to go to them and speak to them about these things. But the idea, the approach is, again, that we esteem one another in love. And so not only this idea of love in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, maybe a formal way, but also the idea of affection in a warm way. But there's another element whereby uh, we see uh, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, work of, of the nurturing uh, of, uh, of, of the body of Christ taking place. And that is by way of forbearance. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye also. How many times, you know, we read the scripture and say, well, that's... That's not too hard to figure out. It might be a little hard to do, but it's not hard to figure out. Listen how simple it is. Forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye also. Simple as that. Difficult because of the, because of the remaining aspects of sin. But let's, let's, let's not make excuses here in the pulpit for not doing what God commands us to do. Let's embrace it by way of, by way of all of its clarity. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We're to be concerned with, by way of this, uh, by way of this uh, affection, we're to be concerned with each other's mutual comfort and edification. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up. More can be listed. Well, what we say is this, is it, how refreshing is it for the God's children, hated by the world, to have communion with one another and to make their needs known to each other in love and in familiarity that they may enjoy each other's sacred fellowship. What does John say to us in 1 John chapter 5? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You see, this is not optional. It's not, it's not you know, and again, please, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes. It's not that, you know, it's where I go to church. No, this, 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 is, this is the body that, that Christ has called you to. This is the body that Christ desires to, to have you be uh, uh, living for his glory in. This is the body whereby Christ has placed you in order that you might be mutually beneficial to those in this place. You see, here is the body of Christ in its nurturing. Well, when it comes to this nurturing, again, not only are we told how the body is nurtured, but we're also warned against certain things. 
We're warned against strife and, con- and contention. Now, Philippians 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. You see, we're warned against this contention because, like Paul says in Galatians 5, verse, 14, verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This idea of being consumed one of another. You know, I, I, I just did, you know, minimal research on this, and it's going to sound somewhat, you know, um, not too technical when I try to bring all this out, but I think we have illustrations of this idea of consuming one another. There, there are, in, um, and some of you probably know this better than I do, uh, there are medical conditions when the body, in a very strange, strange way, uh, begins to attack itself. Uh, the body is not uh, uh, identifying properly um, those, um, th- those, um, th- those, th- those things that are harmful to the body. And the way the body is designed is that when something foreign or something uh, uh, that is detrimental to the body, uh, that the body can, can address that. The body can take care of that. Well, these things called autoimmune diseases, which I know very little of, and many of you, I'm, I'm, I'm above my field, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking above my pay grade in a way. But many of you know these things. Uh, some 80 or so diseases are associated with this thing that we know as autoimmune disease. And what begins to happen, as I said, the body begins to attack itself. The body can't distinguish between that which is what belongs in the body and that which doesn't belong in the body. What a picture, is it not? What oftentimes happens in the church. My friends, if you are here by faith in Jesus Christ, you belong in this body. And the body ought not to attack itself. The body ought not to bite and devour. The body ought not to work against itself because, again, Christ has placed each and every one of us here for the mutual well-being one of another in order that we, in submission to the headship of Jesus Christ, might live for the glory of God in this place. And so, again, the idea of the body in its name, the body in its nature, the body in its nurture. Well, how do we then apply a passage of Scripture such as this? Well, again, if all of these things are given to show the, the unity that we have in Christ, no matter what our diversity is, if it's all designed to show the unity, how important is it then that we be careful to, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? You see, this is something that has to be maintained. You see, there are strives and, the strives and divisions that often crop up in a congregation. That's why Paul is writing the things that he's writing. Again, he's, he's writing 1 Corinthians to address these strives and divisions. He says, let there be no division in the body. Paul says again in that place in Galatians chapter 5, don't be, don't be biting and devouring one another. The body is designed by God for the mutual edification one of another. Amen. So that's the first uh, point. Let us endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But our second application is directed to the table. And it's this. Let us then come to the table of the Lord, receiving the sign and seal of our unity. The one loaf that we break and share, let us also let this also be a sign of our fellowship with and affection for one another as members in the glorious body of Christ. Let us pray.